going to share this, um, but I, I am going to share it because I just feel like the Lord's telling me to share it right now. Um, I've only been there not even three months yet. And my first, uh, the, like, I wasn't, when I interviewed, I just wasn't hearing anything, didn't get an offer. Kind of strange because I, you know, people, I interview really well and people usually want me, uh, you know, good programmers are hard to find, so it, it's not usually hard to get a job if you're, you have the skill set I have. Um, so it was a little unusual not to hear at all, um, and uh, even my recruiter hadn't heard. And so they're like, do you know what's going on there? I'm like, how would I know? I'm just, I just went for an interview. I don't know what's going on there, you know. And it turns out their HR person quit, and they got another temporary HR person. Um, and so I got the, you know, it's funny how it happens. So I, I, you know, she was the first person I talked to at the company. It was basically her first day. She didn't even know how to give me an offer letter or do anything because she hadn't even been there. Um, but eventually I got in there and I got to know her. And, uh, you know, I had lots of other problems. My paycheck didn't go into my account for some reason. Uh, another guy started the same day as me. His paycheck went in his account, but mine didn't. So I had to go talk to this HR person again. Um, and... Uh, you know, another thing happened. I had to go talk to her again. Like, it's like I just kept having issues, right? Now, I could be upset about these issues, but what I found out is that she actually went to Vanguard University, and, you know, she is a, uh, she's a Christian, but she kind of, you know, she's been going to some big churches, and she just kind of feels lost. She kind of feels like her faith isn't really that exciting anymore, you know? And uh, got chatting with her, and uh, lots of, you know, shared Marla's music, uh, you know, she was interested in the sermon I did last week and everything, and uh, got to talking to her, and she said, you know, when I was in college, you know, she goes, when I was at this big church, the one thing I did do is I did this uh, small group that was interested in human trafficking and, and women, uh, and, uh, you know, I said, well, actually, we have a group like that at our church, uh, and she said, yeah, you know, but it just really wasn't the same. You know, I was really part of this group in college, and uh, it was, you know, really good. And I, and I really want to do that again, um, but I, you know, just, I don't, I feel awkward just calling up the person in charge and saying, hey, I want to do this again. Um, and uh, so I got talking to her, and she goes, yeah, you know, it's the International Center for Women and Justice. Is that right? Global Center for Women and Justice. And she goes, yeah, you know, I, I used to work with Sandy Morgan, and she was just awesome. And I said, well, it's funny, because she's our pastor's wife, you know. So maybe you sh I said, you see what God's doing here. You need to come, okay? You understand, this is what God's doing. You need to come. Uh, she told me she couldn't come this week. Um, I, I sense from the Lord that the enemy is not liking this. Um, so I do ask you guys to pray. I seriously mean this. Uh, pray for her name's Cambria. Um, Pray for her uh, that, you know, the Lord will, uh, that she'll see through on what the Lord's calling her to do right now, um, because, you know, it was a divine appointment. It's kind of one of those things, you know, it, I could be upset that my check didn't go on my account, but I'm not upset. You know, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. We got our money eventually. It's fine. Um, but, you know, God was doing something. God had me go talk to her over and over and over uh, so that we could get to know each other enough that I could invite her and, uh, you know, just have this really crazy uh, divine appointment, you know, where, you know, she didn't know that, you know, Sandy was here, and uh, I said, look, just tell her, I, tell, 
everyone I invited you and then go, hey, Sandy, you're here. Hey, are you still doing that thing? You know, and so if she shows up, everybody be nice. Okay, don't say anything. Um, Cambria, if you're listening, uh, I just thought it was an amazing story. I had to share it. Sorry if you're following on my sermon this week again because you loved last week so much. I doubt that. But if that's happening, uh, love you. Hope to see you here. It's a cool story. Um, so uh, that, that happened on Wednesday. So I just, you know, it's when we're in the Lord's will, uh, these things happen. And the more you submit to him, uh, the crazier stuff starts happening. Okay. So I, I could tell you, I mean, if I just told you all the crazy miracles and stories that God's done in our lives, I would, I could be here for 12 hours. Okay. Seriously. Uh, so as time goes on, I'm sure you will hear some of these stories. Um, but you know, the ultimate thing, and as Colin was sharing earlier, um, about, uh, see, I'm giving all these people credit and they're not here. So that's, that's good. That's good. See, the Lord likes to keep us from getting a big head. So he makes sure that we get, you know, praised when we're not there. Right. So no, Colin was exactly right. You know, how we need to submit to the Lord. Um, you know, his, his will be done, his kingdom come, his will be done. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're actually just slaves in his kingdom. Um, the Bible says that. They, they kind of don't like translating it as slave in English, uh, so it usually says servant, but the Greek word is doulos, and it pretty much means slave. Um, and so, you know, when, we, when the Lord asks us to do something, uh, we need to think of it in those terms, that we are his servants. Yes, we're his friends also. We're also his brothers. I mean, there's other things that are said, but, but realistically, we need to submit. And how many of you guys, I know all y'all grew up in America. Um, how many of you guys love submitting? Raise your hand if you just think submitting is the greatest thing ever and you love doing it. I don't see any hands. Um, because we don't. Uh, in America, we like being independent. We like being right. We like being in charge. We like being, having our own sovereignty and our own will, right? That's what we love in America. Um, and so this whole, you know, Jesus is our king. Like we, we sang that today, didn't we? Jesus is our king. Yeah, you, are king. you are my king, right? Jesus, you are my king, right? Um, and, you know, reality, we have no idea what a king is. I mean, let's be real. Uh, how, you know, half of us don't even like Trump. I mean, let's be real here, right? I mean, you know, so, I mean, we don't, we, you know, we don't, we don't understand what it is to have a king at all. Um, you know, it, if we had a king, uh, we would have to be his subjects, whether we liked him or not. Um, and that's kind of hard for us to really grasp. We don't really grasp it. We don't understand it. Uh, so you guys are going to love this part of Scripture. Um, it's our favorite part. But, you know, I'm going to show you why it should be. Uh, verse 21, this is Ephesians 5. We're in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who do we submit to? Okay, this is the first part that we're going to talk about. This colors everything after it. This is the introduction. Okay, when we have an introduction, that means everything else is going to be related to this verse in this section here. Submit to one another. And why do we do it? Out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. What does that mean? Does that mean that sometimes I need to submit to my kids? Does that mean that? Yeah. <laughs> did, I get, did I hear an amen? 
Sometimes it means yes. Sometimes it means yes. Does it mean that I need to submit to my wife? Another amen. Sometimes it means yes. You know, the reality is we need to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. We can't always have our own way. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it needs to be somebody else's way. And we don't like that. But that's the reality. For things to work better, sometimes it's the other person's way. Sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do for the, to keep the peace. That's just the way life is. You can't fight every battle. How many of you tried to fight every battle? Who's tried that? Who had a season in their life where you tried to fight every battle? How'd that work out? I hear lots of nervous laughter. That didn't work out at all, did it? That did not work out one bit. And then at some point, life, real life shows its ugly head, and we realize we have to choose our battles because there is not enough energy to fight everybody on every front. And sometimes that choosing of battles means it's better to submit to one another. See, God's just looking out for you. He has this verse in here telling you how to live your life. You could have, he, you could have avoided all that pain and suffering, all that trouble, if you would have just read and followed Ephesians 5.21. You know, God puts everything in there for our good. Verse uh, 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay, I think that's half the problem we got in America today. Wives are submitting to their husbands as they do to the Lord, which is not much. Um, you know, we don't like submitting to our husbands, and we don't like submitting to the Lord, right? We don't like submitting to our wives. We don't like submitting to anybody, you know? We, we're just prideful. That's reality. Reality is we got a lot of pride, especially in America. We got a lot of pride in this country. So, you know, a lot of people don't like this verse. This is not a popular verse today, right? I mean, somebody asked me, am I going to be politically correct today? I said, no, I'm going to be biblically correct. <laughs> okay? I don't really care what people say. I really don't. I'm, I want to be biblically correct. I don't really care. Okay? The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. You know, in our house, we have a very democratic uh, lunch. Okay? After church on Sunday, we have democratic lunch. My kids will say it's somewhat democratic. <laughs> so the way democratic lunch works is this. There's four of us. We decide where we're going to lunch. If there is a majority, then that's where we go to lunch. Okay? But if there's a tie, then dad gets the tiebreaker vote. Or as my kids refer to it, two votes. <laughs> Somehow they see it as dad gets two votes. Okay? Because that's how it feels when you got to submit. <laughs> the husband, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Okay, now this is the interesting part, right? If we read this verse, we're the head, but what does that mean? We are the head as Christ is the head of the church. What does it say? What did Jesus say in 1 Peter 5.3? Does anybody know? Jesus said, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Husbands, you want to be head of your household? You want to be head of your household by Christ as head of the church? What does Christ do as head of the church? 
Did he lord it over everyone? No. He said, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. You want to be the leader? Lead. Lead by example. Be the one that's going to lead by example when everyone else is tired of doing the right thing. You want to be the one in charge? That's what being in charge is. That's what being a leader is. Being a leader is doing the right thing when it's easier to do the wrong thing. Being a leader is the one who, when there's a fight brewing, you're the one that's calm. You know, that's not as easy for some of us. I grew up in a house with lots of yelling, and I got a fiery temper, and uh, there's a huge bomb at the end of that fuse. And I, I, I have a hard time doing anything about that size of that bomb. I've tried and tried and tried. That bomb's still pretty big at the end of that fuse, but I have, over the years, I have lengthened that fuse really long, you know? So we just never get to the bomb. You know, we got to be the one to lead by example. You want to be the leader of something? Lead by example, okay? Andy is the leader of HSBN. Andy leads by example. Andy does not lord it over anyone at HSBN. He leads by example, okay? And that's why we're all here. That's why I'm a part of HSBN. I appreciate the way that Andy leads. I appreciate the way that Andy is led by the Spirit. I appreciate his humility. I appreciate that he's the one who goes to God first and all the time, and it's, he's inspiring. He's an example for me to follow. That's how he leads. That's why it's such a great network, and it's great Christian leadership, right? Matthew 20, 25 to 27, Jesus called them, the disciples, together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. See, they ran out of words. They had to use the word slave, right? We need to be each other's servant. We need to be each other's slave. We don't like those words. Man, we do not like those words. I don't want to be anybody's servant. I don't want to be anybody's slave. You know, that's no fun. But you know what? There's a lot of great people in this church. As I look around the room, there's a lot of great people in this church that show up and serve and do, like we talked about this morning with the children's workers in the back, they show up and they serve and they serve and they serve and no one ever sees them and they never get any credit and no one ever gives them any thumbs up or anything. They just continue to serve week after week after week with no one noticing. And that's the kind of leadership. You think the slave gets noticed when he does something? Slave did something awesome. Who gets the credit? The master. When the slaves did a great job, the master gets the credit. I hate to break it to you. That's how it is in the kingdom of God. If you're looking for to be a big deal and get lots of credit... You're going to be disappointed because that's not how it works in this kingdom. You're the slave, you're the servant, and Jesus gets all the credit. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's the way it works. Jesus is Lord, and when we do great things, Jesus gets the credit. And you know what? He should. Because when we get the credit, what happens? We see a lot of this happening in the church today. It goes to their heads, they fall away, they lead whole churches, whole ministries, get led astray because of the falling of leaders, and there are more leaders, there are more Christian leaders falling in this country these days than ever. It is an epidemic right now of how many 
It's so, such an epidemic now that the media doesn't even cover it anymore because it's too, it's too normal. You know, it's not news anymore if it happens all the time. I don't know if you guys realize this. You know, when, when Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and people, it was like a big deal. This hadn't happened. Nobody would heard this before, you know, with these big ministries. But now it's so commonplace, they don't even cover it. It's not even worth wasting ink on, you know? And that's sad. That's really sad. You know, the Bible tells wives to submit their husbands. The first step of that, I don't know if you caught that in that verse, submit to your husband as you... As, well, let's read that again. Let's read it one more time. Okay? For the, I'm not reading it one more time because I like it. I just want to get it straight because, you know, it's important. For, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. I think the problem with that is step one, which is the end of the verse. You know, first we need to submit to the Lord. When we submit to the Lord, it's amazing how much easier it is to submit to everybody else after you submit to the Lord first. Right? It's, that's, how, that's step one. And step zero, by the way, is marry a man who loves the Lord. Right? If you, wives, if, you know, marry a guy that loves the Lord. I know everybody here. There's no young women here. I wish there were because I could tell them, find the man that loves the Lord first. That's the most important thing. Uh, my daughter, I guess, is, you know, I have two daughters here. They're probably the only ones here. Um, Jen, you know, is about to get married in September, uh, September 21st. And uh, she has a man who loves the Lord, you know, and that's step, that is step zero, right? There's a, I'm a programmer. We start at zero. I don't know if you guys know this. We don't start at one. We start at zero. Start counting at zero. Zero is marry a man who loves the Lord. Step one, lo- submit to the Lord. Maybe that's backward too because, you know, you're probably not going to marry a man who loves the Lord unless you're already submitted to the Lord. So. But it does make step two easier if you do both of those first. Verse 23, uh, For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So what does it mean that the husband is the head? He doesn't lord over, right? He's supposed to submit. He's supposed to serve his wife. They're supposed to serve each other. Um, but here's what it means when it says submit to each other and wives submit to the husband. Here's the thing, okay? I'm going to speak from our marriage. I'm going to speak from... We have a very traditional marriage. Uh, I work. Marla has been at home most of the time. She does a lot of really cool, odd jobs. Um, sometime, if you have a long time, ask Marla about some of her careers that she's had, because uh, she's pretty awesome, and she does things. She'll try something out for fun, get really good at it, then get bored, and then try something else. Because um, she, she's just, yeah. So, And uh, she's done all kinds of things. Um, but, you know, the reality is all of them have been sort of single alone type of businesses, right? Mystery shopping, buying storage lockers, real estate, you know, you name it. All the things Marla's done are all kind of solo efforts. Um, You know, the reality is, and this is the reality of all of the world back in the Bible days, is that Marla's at home mostly. If she does do things, she does the Proverbs 31 type things, right? Like like I've been talking about. Um, Your husband goes to work, and he deals with a lot of people, and he deals with a lot of shady people, okay? Um, There's 
and if you're not the person going out and dealing with shady people all the time and dealing with you know, people who are hard to get along with and people who have agendas and all kinds of other things, you, I, I don't mean to say this in a mean way, but you might just be a little bit ignorant about how the world works. Okay? And it could be the other way around. There's things that the husband is also going to be ignorant about. This is why you need to submit to each other because two heads are better than one, right? Two heads are better than one. If, I've never seen people be more wrong than when they start saying, I'm right. That is the, when somebody starts shouting, I'm right, it's almost inevitably that they will immediately be wrong after that moment, okay? We need to realize that we don't know it all, okay? I don't know it all. Marla doesn't know it all, you know? Sometimes as decisions, we even involve the kids. You know, it's like you, you want to involve other people. Marlo will go online and ask questions. Hey, everybody, what do you think of this? You know, get some input because, you know, you don't know everything, okay? And other people have other experiences that help you, okay? That's why Lord, the Lord sends us counselors. He sends us pastors. Don't let the pastor tell you what to do. You're going to stand before the Lord yourself. Your pastor's not going to be there with you. Okay, so if the, your pastor's trying to tell you to do something, and this pastor doesn't do that because Gene's a good guy, and he doesn't, he doesn't do that. But if you've ever been around, you know, sometimes people's pastors will try to control their life. You know, the reality is you are responsible for your life. You are responsible to hear the Lord for yourself. You're the one that's going to stand before God, and God's going to say, what have you done with my words? You know, and it's you. It's not going to be anybody else. You can have people help or hinder you can, you know, whatever, but ultimately it is your responsibility to read this word and try to figure it out and try to do your best and have a heart pure before God. That's, all, that's on you. That's not on anybody else. You know, you can't go up there and say, well, my pastor said, God doesn't care. He was just trying to help you. Maybe he was misguided. Maybe he's an evil person. You know, sometimes, like I said, there's a lot of pastors following. A lot of pastors these days are not, not in the, for the right reasons, you know. Uh, Gene is not that person, okay? I don't want you guys to think that. I think Gene is a wonderful example of God's love and encouragement. And, you know, Gene, Gene is a great, great example of a Christian man doing what a Christian man should do. And we are very lucky to have a man like that in charge of our congregation. We really are. I mean, he, he is always trying to be positive about everything as much as he can, you know, and, and trying to help as much as he can. Um, and, uh, but we just come from a church right before this where that was not the case, okay? Uh, that, that was a whole different story. And so that's why some of this maybe is coming out. It's not Gene, okay? I don't want you guys to know that. Um, verse 24, uh, it said, uh, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. I remember years and years and years ago, I read a book uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive, the book was by Yvonne Ritchie. Uh, she was the wife of the founder of uh, InterVarsity Fellowship in the U.S. And uh, she, I remember one line she said in the book that really stuck with me all these years. I've never forgotten it. She said, everybody wants Jesus to be their Savior, but nobody wants Jesus to be their Lord. Everybody wants Jesus to be their Savior, but nobody wants Jesus to be their Lord. Right? Having a Lord, having a Master, who wants that? Right? We want the easy grace where we say, okay, God, forgive me, great, now I'll go do what I want. Right? That doesn't work. 
now you, then people just get in this cycle. They just keep coming back. Oh, Lord, forgive me for this now. Forgive me for that now. You know, you gotta, you got to let God take over if you're going to be changed, if you're going to become a new creation. We've got to submit to him, you know. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. So husbands, you're supposed to love your wives in such a way that you're sacrificing yourself for her. Yeah. How many of you guys love sacrificing? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands for that one either. We don't like that, but that's the reality. Christ laid down his life. He died for the church, you know? Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, families, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, we love our kids. We'd do anything for our kids. And then they get a brand-new kitchen for $60,000 and then make their kids pay their own way through school. That's a choice. Um, but it does make me wonder about what you said earlier. <laughs> You know, do you lay down your life for your kids? Do you do everything you can for your kids, right? Everything. Do you, I mean, how far, you know, some people say I die for my kids, but then they won't live for their kids, you know, right? They'll die for their kids, but they won't live for their kids, right? I mean, the reality is we need to do everything we can. If we truly love someone, we will do everything we can. We will sacrifice everything we have for that person, right? For your family, that's the way it should be. We should, we should, I mean, family is family. We should be doing whatever we can to sacrifice to, for the good of the family. And that's every person in the family coming together. Because I mean, let me, this is something I tell my kids, and this is the absolute truth. Your friends will come and go. Over the years, your friends will come and go. Other people will come and go out of your life, but your family is there forever. And, you know, it is important, I mean, I, we can't always control it, but the, the Bible says, however much it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You need to be the peacemaker in your family. You know, you need to be the one that sacrifices. If they've done something wrong seven times, you need to forgive them. If they've done it wrong 77 times, you need to forgive them. And just in case we got the reading of the Greek wrong, if they've done something wrong 490 times, because that's 70 times 7, you need to forgive them. Now, if you're keeping count and you go by beyond 490, there's something wrong with you, okay? Stop keeping count. Because the reality is we need to forgive. And your family is the one that will always be there for you, okay? As much as we bicker, as much as we don't get along, as much as things don't always work out, Family is forever. You know, we go on the internet today, we go online, and people are so quick to throw away their family. You know, young people today, they, oh, somebody said one thing, somebody did one thing, throw them away forever, you know? How, they're toxic. They're so toxic. You know, I can't believe they went to the store and asked the guy where he was from that's racist, throw them away. That's it, you know? I, I literally read that. That's, that's for real. That's an actual quote from the internet, yeah. They thought somehow asking a guy what country he was from was racist. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they were just curious. I don't know. In the absence of everything else that really, I mean, yeah, maybe it's racist, but in a big scheme of things, if that's the reason you're throwing your family away, I think you need a little bit more than that, you know? 
Uh, I expect a lot more long-term abuse than one, you know, very questionable thing that happened, right? Um, you know, and that's the sad part. I mean, the sad part is we're not willing to push through anymore. People don't have perseverance. The Bible says perseverance produces character. Do you want to be a person of character? You've got to persevere. Perseverance is not easy. It's hard. That's why they call it perseverance. <laughs> means you have to keep doing something when everything in you is telling you that I'd rather do something else. Right? If we had more perseverance in this country, we'd have less divorce because people would persevere. My parents fought three times a day, every day, my entire life. If they had nothing to fight about, they'd make something up. <laughs> what cleaner did you use to clean the bathroom? It's wrong. I remember that was one time. Marla came over to our house. She was dating me at the time, or we were engaged or something. And my mom was yelling at my dad about which cleaner he used in the bathtub. And Marla's like, he cleaned the bathtub. <laughs> I mean, right there, you should just be quiet. He, he tried. You should, you know. <coughs> but <coughs> my parents love to fight, I guess. I don't know. <coughs> but they were also married for 44 years until my mom passed away. Because in their minds, no matter how much they fought, marriage was forever. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter how, it didn't matter how they felt about it at times. They were not getting divorced because they made a, a, a vow before God that they were staying married no matter what. And they did it. And you know what? I just tell you that to, you know, I don't want to denigrate my parents, but I want to tell you because that's the kinds of things that happen in our family relationships. And we think that, oh, you know, it would be better for my parents to get divorced. You know what? It was not better for my parents to get divorced. I'm so glad they stayed together. That would have been a bad thing for us. I know some people have told me otherwise, but at least in my case, I, I'm glad they stuck it out. I'm glad they found a way. And, you know, I, I honestly think it was more debating anyway than actual... Uh, than actual fights. There were some actual fights, but you know, I think the reality is, you know, most of it was just they liked they liked to bicker for fun. I guess I don't know. I could never understand it. <laughs> I guess whatever your pastimes are. Uh, verse twenty-six: to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Washing of water through the word. What does that mean? How do we make ourselves holy? It's right there in the verse. We wash ourselves with the word of God. This Bible will transform your life if you read it. If you don't read it, it won't transform your life. You know? I remember we were at a previous church, um, and uh, one woman got up, and this was her testimony. She said, I've been a Christian for seven years, and I've never read Luke, but I saw this verse today. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know the verse is coming, but wait, what did I just hear? What was that? I've been a Christian for seven years, and I never read Luke? I mean, I can understand if you haven't read Hezekiah or something, you know, like, there's no, there's no book called Hezekiah. <laughs> but some of you didn't know that. I can understand if you haven't read one of the minor prophets yet, because, you know, sometimes those can be hard to get into. But Luke? Luke is the story of Christ, man. I mean, come on. She said, I've been a Christian for seven years, and I've never read Luke. And I was like, 
that is, and, and she's saying it somehow like it's, I don't know, she was like proud of it or something, or just, I don't know, she wasn't ashamed of it, you know? I guess she wasn't ashamed of it, which is, and I, I just don't understand that. How can you be a Christian for seven years and not read the Bible? I mean, read the Word. I'm telling you, your life will be amazing when you start reading this Word, you know? At another church, one of the leaders said, one of the pastors of one, it was like a, there were satellite churches, and one of the pastors of one of the satellite churches said, you can't, it's not like you can just sit down with your kids and make them sit there and read the word to them. Really? That's news to me. Because <laughs> every night we get together as a family and we sit down and we read the word out loud every single night. Um, and we've done, we've probably gone through the Bible six times by now. Um, I started when Jackie was six, and now she's 19. We've gone through the Bible. That's in 13 years, right? Something like that. Am I doing this right? I don't know. 13 years, and we've gone through the Bible about six times. And cover to cover. And you know what? I know it was boring sometimes. There were times when they would goof off. What did I do when, they, when you goof off? What did I do? Huh? We would quiz them. And if they didn't know the answers, we'd start over, read it again. There were times we had to do it two or three or four times. <laughs> but you know what? These women know the Lord. They know the Word now. They know the Word. Jackie's often amazed. She said, how do people not know the Bible at all? Right? She's constantly saying this. How is it that people don't know this? That's because we sat for 12, 13 years and read every chapter all the way through for six times. You can make your kids sit there and listen to it. And I highly recommend as families that you get together with the family and read the Word together and pray for each other. That's what we do every single night. I'm telling you, you everyone's life will benefit from this. Everyone. Okay? Because this is what changes you into the image of Christ. And trust me, when you start getting transformed in the image of Christ, that's when the fun stuff starts happening. You know, do you read about all these people in the Bible and you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. I wish I had the faith to be like, you know... Pick your favorite person, Elijah, Paul, whatever. I wish I had the faith to be like them. Read this word enough and you will, okay? If you read this enough and you submit yourself to God, you'll be the one doing all of these things. Jesus said, greater things will you do than I did. You can do greater things than Jesus. Did you know this? That's what the Bible says. You can do greater things than Jesus. Yeah. So you know what? Submit yourself to God. Submit your heart to God. And I'm telling you, I never thought I would exercise demons, okay? I never thought I would do pray for people to be healed at two weeks to live. I never thought any of this stuff. When I was a kid, I sat there and go, man, how in the world do these people in the Bible do this stuff? That seems impossible. I don't know how to do that. And yet here I am, I'm almost 50, and my testimony, like I said, I could spend 12 hours telling you stories. Andy knows because... I've got more than 12 hours of shows, and he knows he's heard all the stories. Andy's usually the one recording me at HSBN because I record on Saturdays, so Andy's heard most of it. I have more than 12 hours, don't I? Yeah. Because Andy's heard it all. In fact, if you want to go and uh, listen to all of them, we have about... <laughs> we have over 60 hours of content uh, on HSBN. Marla and I do. We do a show, and we have over 120 episodes. Uh, and, uh, you know, anything you're interested in is probably there somewhere. So if you want to, by all means, uh, there's tons of stories in there. 
In verse 27, let me read it. It says, And to present her, her to himself, the church, present the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know what? I'm, I'm here to let you know a little secret. If you read the word with your family, you'll also have less dissension in your family because you'll all be starting to be transformed in the image of Christ. You'll all start thinking alike. There'll be less fights. Okay? But what does it mean to be holy and blameless? What does holy mean when we read it in the New Testament? The word holy. Hagias, right? Is the word for Holy. And it means that you are uh, set apart. You are set apart for a purpose. You are different. You're taken out of the normal and set aside for a special purpose. You're not just a cup anymore. You're now the king's mug, okay? You're, You're now a special thing, okay? That's what God, Jesus is telling us to do. He wants us to become holy, That doesn't mean that you're sinless. That doesn't mean all the things we think it means. Like, we have all these ideas of what holy means, but they're mostly wrong, actually. The word holy means that you're set apart for a purpose, okay? God wants to set you apart for his purposes, and he wants to have you do them. And trust me when I tell you, like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is exciting. It is fun, okay? When God starts showing up, in the things that you're doing, and you start getting these crazy conversations like I had with Cambria, right, where it's like, oh, I wish I could be with Sandy again, and I'm like, well, come to our church. She's right there. You know, stuff like that starts happening all the time, and it's a lot of fun. What does blameless mean? Does blameless mean sinless? Sort of, but it means blameless. What it means is that nobody can blame you for anything. And this is where the Catholic Church, in some ways, sometimes does better than we do, okay? Because when we say we're sorry, we go, God, I'm sorry, and that's it, and we're done, okay? In the Catholic Church, you got to, like, crawl over broken glass up a flight of stairs or something. I don't know. I haven't been there myself, but I've heard stories. That might have been from the 1700s. But anyway... (laughs) 1600s, I don't know. When did Martin Luther do the thing? That's about that time. But, but uh, you know, the reality is there's more to forgiveness than getting forgiveness from God. The most important thing is that you make it right with the other person. And this is where the Church of Christ does a terrible job. The Protestant Church does a terrible job of this. You know, uh, Gandhi said, I like Christ, but I don't like Christians because Christians are used to being forgiven. Christians are used to being forgiven. What does that mean? That means that they never come and make things right because they're so used to getting forgiven for everything, they just act however they want. Right? They act however they want because they're used to being forgiven. Oh, I'll do this, but, you know, it's okay. God will forgive me, right? That's kind of how Christians go into things. That's not how we should go into things. And that's certainly not how we should have other people looking at us. You know, we need to be the kind of people that when other people look at us, they have nothing to say. Did you wrong somebody? Go to them. Make it right. Apologize to them in person. Offer to make it right. Offer to pay for whatever you broke. Offer to, 
you know, don't let them have anything to say against you. You know, blameless is when Daniel, right, the prophet Daniel was up praying in his room, and they were trying to say, how do we get this guy? And they investigated him and did everything they could to try to bring him down, and they said, there's nothing there. We can't bring him down because there's nothing, right? That's blameless. And they said, what's the only thing we can get him on? Well, something about his God, because that's the only thing there is, okay? That's how we should look at being looked at by everyone. We should be the person that everyone says, if I can only hate this guy because he loves God, there's no other reason I can hate him, okay? If they hate you for that, well, then they're just going to hate you, because, you know, this world hates Jesus. How many of you guys know this world hates Jesus? If that hasn't become clear in the last few years, I don't know where you guys are looking, but there's a spirit of the Antichrist, and it is going wild right now, okay? There's a spirit of the Antichrist that's going wild and taking over. You will be hated for being a Christian. I'm sorry to tell you, but you are going to be hated for being a Christian. It's just the way it is. It's, going to, it's coming. And you know what? But let's let that be the only reason that people hate us. In every other way, let's do our best to make it right so that they have nothing to say. There's nothing ill anyone can say about us because of how good of a person we are, you know? In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, anybody ever heard about a divorce? I rest. <laughs> You, if your family is fighting, you must hate yourself because that's your place to go and be relaxed. That's your place to go and get, you know, help and support and love. And, you know, don't be uh, the person that's causing strife in the family unit. You know, uh, let me keep going on there. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Uh, you know, we don't do that always in the church, unfortunately. When we're in the church, if we see somebody hurting, that's part of our body. That's like we got a big sore on our pinky. What, are you just going to leave that there? get infected or something? And then it starts growing up and getting to be a big thing, and we still don't go to the doctor because we're like, eh. I don't like doctors. I don't want to go. We just say, ah, I'll ignore it. I'll ignore it. I'll ignore it. How many of you guys have ever ignored a health condition and that turned out to be a bad idea? How many of you have done that, right? Okay. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this is your church body. These people that God has put in this church place with you are your church body. And if they're hurting, you're hurting. And it is our job as a church to come together and support each other like a family. That's our job. God says he wants us to love each other in a body the way that a husband loves a wife. This is, we need to take care of each other's needs. This is what we do in this place, right? That's why we come here. Yeah, we come here for, you know, cool music and good sermons, and I, I hope. Um, but, you know, we really come here because we need support from other people, you know, and that's what God wants us to do as a church, to be there when other people are hurting and when they're in need. That's what we need to do. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ 
and the church. Okay, so we know that you leave your parents and you get married and you move with your wife. Okay, that's what the Bible says. That's how we, that's how we do it in America. That's, we, we're a Christian nation, so we follow this. We get married and bye, mom and dad. My daughter's been saying bye, mom and dad for about the last year and she's getting prepared to be married. There's a whole lot of bye, mom and dad coming out of her right now. That's okay. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. But, you know, it's, uh, we also need to say goodbye to our old fleshly ways. You know, you were raised, you were born into sin, you were raised with that kind of sinful environment around you, and then you met Christ, and you got married to Christ. All of us are married. Did you know that all of us are married to Christ? It's not just nuns, okay? All of us are the bride of Christ. We're all the bride of Christ. We are all God's wife, Jesus' wife. And that means that you need to leave behind those parents that raised you in the worldly ways. You know, you can see them from a distance. Hey, over there, nice to see you again. Spend a couple hours, you know, reminiscing about the old times and go, yeah, but that's not where I am now. I'm with Christ, right? We need to be separate from that stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't see your old friends once in a while, but if they're dragging you down and you need new friends, okay? You need to get out of that lifestyle. That doesn't mean you hate them, but you don't stay in it. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's interesting to me that in verse 33 it says, husbands need to love their wife, and wives need to respect their husband. I mean, could that have been harder? Could he have possibly come up with a way that made that harder for both of us? I don't think he could have. You know, men are not about being nurturing and kind and caring. That's not really in our nature, you know? Uh, you know, you've seen male movies, right? You got, you know, like, like, you know, Bruce Willis or somebody, like, with a gun, and he's going around shooting everybody, right? You know what I mean? That's a guy movie. There's no nurturing or caring or love in there, you know? You know what I'm saying? That's not in the man's wheelhouse, okay? That's not, that's not what guys are about. So he asks us to love our wives. That's kind of a hard thing to ask. It's not like the easiest thing for us. We would much rather be that macho man and have the wife just come along for the ride, you know? Like, hey, I'm going to go kill 50 bad guys and then give me a kiss at the end of the movie, right? That's, that's the guy's way of thinking, Okay? Okay, that's the guy's way of thinking. So it's hard when he says, love your wife. That means we've got to stop, we've got to take time, we've got to think about, oh, it's my anniversary, I should probably get something. <laughs> it's her birthday, she probably cares if I buy something. <laughs> right? Because guys don't think like that. They're busy with their stuff. Right? I'm doing this at work, and I'm doing this and that, and i got all these things going on, and it's like to take the time out to think about someone else is not that easy. But... Okay, now, sorry, ladies. Um, now here's the other side of the coin. He said, wives, respect your husbands. You know something that Marla and I kind of realized a few years ago? We realized that you can kind of predict the divorces that are upcoming when you see the wives disrespecting the husbands. We started noticing this pattern. Hmm, you know, this wife really disrespects this husband. A couple years later, they're divorced, and we see it again, and it happens again, and we see it again, and it happens again, and we're like, oh, 
This is happening with an alarming frequency. In fact, we're starting to think that this is the greatest predictor of marital unhappiness is that when the wife loses respect for the husband, things start going south. You know, now I know it's hard, ladies. I know there's some husbands that make dumb decisions. <laughs> and it is hard to respect. And it is hard to submit. Okay, I know that that is the case. How do I know? Because I make dumb decisions sometimes. That's how I know. But ultimately, it's, you know, you need to respect your husband. Your husband needs to feel that respect from you. It's obviously, if it's here in the scripture, it must be something that in that male psyche we need. We need to feel respected. Okay? And I know it's not always easy because the men don't make it easy. Right? But, you know, all of us can choose how do we respond, you know, it, with anyone in anything in life. Okay? I can assure you of this. If you ignore the bad behavior and praise the good behavior, you will get good results. Okay? I, I had a programmer working for me one time. I honestly, this guy was not very good. He's a super nice guy. I mean, as a friend, the guy was really nice, really good guy. But as a programmer, he just made a lot of bad decisions. And I, you know, I wasn't really in a position to let him go. I was his team lead, but I wasn't, I didn't have any power to, you know, hire or fire anybody or anything like that uh, at this job. And I would just continue to be patient year after year. You know, it was like a couple, it was like a, over a year before the first time that he did anything that I respected, to be honest with you. I mean, I just didn't respect his code, the way he coded. He was just bad, you know. But I would patiently explain to him how to do it differently, you know, because we would have code reviews, and when his code review, a lot of times I'd have to go sit with him, explain why are other people saying mean things to him, or why I had to say something mean to him, because, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you're a programmer, it's, it's not easy, because you write all this beautiful code. It's like your baby, you know, it's like your creative outlet. And then you immediately submit it to all of your peers who criticize it. And this happens every couple weeks. Uh, so you develop a thick skin pretty quickly because, or you just get discouraged because it's, you know, what if you, what if every artist when they painted immediately submitted their painting to a bunch of art critics every time they painted, they had to do that immediately. What if as you wrote a song, what if when Martha wrote songs, it was like, oh, okay, I wrote a song, now I've got to su submit it to a board of people who are going to criticize it, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you might improve some, but it's not easy, okay? And so I was very patient with this guy, just trying to explain patiently, trying not to be frustrated when he would do things that were just crazy, and like, that's a really bad idea. Um, and... But you know what? After about a year, he actually wrote something that impressed me. You know, being patient with him. I didn't yell at him. I didn't, you know, like call him names that made him feel bad or anything, you know. After about a year, he started to learn. And he started to do better. And then by the time two years rolled around, he was actually somebody who I really trusted that if I gave him something, he would do the right thing and come back to me. So you know, maybe he was just a little bit slow on learning and, and understanding. He had a hard time understanding the big picture of things, you know what I mean? Like, he would just be in his, his little tunnel, you know, and anything that affected something outside his tunnel, he had a hard time visualizing. But as time went on, that tunnel started to expand, you know, and then he became, uh, he became a great programmer, honestly. 
And I never thought that would happen. And so I know that some of us in our marriage relationships, we never think that other person could be great. We might think, who is this idiot that I married? What was I thinking? Okay? And there's no chance for them to be great. Um, but the reality is, if you're patient and you are like Christ, because you know what? Christ is patient with us. He's very patient with us. Christ doesn't come yell at us. I've heard people preach sermons, Christ is going to yell at you. When? That never even happened in the whole scripture. When did Christ yell at He didn't yell at people who were trying their best. He yelled at some religious leaders that were trying to, you know, put a yoke of slavery on everyone, but he never, he never yelled at anyone who was trying to be his follower. The reality is, if we want to be like Christ and the church in our marriage relationships, that's a high calling. It's not easy, right? We need to be the kind of people who are patient, and every day we just calmly try to make tomorrow a better place, right? And if we do that, I think you'll be amazed at what people are capable of because we sometimes think people always stay the same, but the reality is people are capable of change and they're capable of big things, especially when God is helping them. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all of your word here, Lord. I pray that you would help us to die to our flesh, to die to ourself, and Lord, to submit to you because, God, that is what makes our life better. Lord, I pray that we would devour your word. I pray we would be in love with it. I pray that we would read it every day. Lord, I pray we would seek your presence all the time, Lord, and I pray that you would transform us into the image of Christ. So just like we saw in the movie on Wednesday night, for those who were here, Lord, that we would just go around acting like Jesus everywhere we go. And Lord, that's our dream. That's my dream. That's why my desire is just to be used by you everywhere I go. So be with us, Lord. Uh, Help us, we pray in Jesus' name to, Lord, live at peace with everyone and to, Lord, just repair all the hurt in our marriage and our relationships, Lord, with our kids, with our families, with our parents. Lord, I pray you'd heal those relationships. Lord, help us to be the peacemaker. Help us to be the the peace bringer. Lord, help us to be the first one to forgive and not to hold grudges, I pray. And in so doing, be blameless and be in the image of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.